This is a Crow's Nest podcast. This episode contains descriptions of suicide as portrayed in James Cameron's film, Titanic. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into Titanic Talkline. I am Alexia, your host, and I uh, don't really want to take too much time. I kind of just want to get into this interview because it was super fun. So hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoyed making. Welcome to the show that literally just started, um, what, two seconds ago? That's exciting. The Utterly Formless um, Titanic Podcast. Well, do you have a name for the podcast? The podcast is Titanic Talkline. Okay. Oh yeah, no, you sent me an email and it had the log line and everything like that. You were yeah. professional about this. I'm trying. Wait, so okay, we should set. Which I guess we should establish. Like, how old are you, and when did you get into the Titanic? Like, what? How was your? Well, yeah, what was your gateway into the Titanic stuff? So, like, what generation are you? Like, what's your? What's the context? I'm an elder millennial. Um, so I came. <laughs> so you're thirties. I'm thirty-three. I turned yeah, thirty-three. Yeah. I don't want to dox you ago. too. The other, that's, that's the other okay. thing. Yeah, exactly. My yeah. age isn't like, a, I, I know that some people are very sensitive about their age. I'm like, I'm 33. That's not exactly a secret yeah. if you want to look it up. You're just a human being. But yeah. um, no, I'm, I'm 33. So the movie came out. I can't remember if I was eight or nine when the movie came out. Just math. <clears throat> but mm-hmm. I saw James Cameron's Titanic. And I think that's about the time. So two things happened in my life. Number one, I saw the movie and I thought it was really, really good. And it was also the first time that I, as a child, had seen a historical event presented in a modern day way. Like, these were actors I recognized. So now all of a sudden, this isn't a historical event that happened, you know, in the amorphous blob that is the past. It's something you can visualize and you bond with the character. Well, even when that stuff is presented in an old movie, mm-hmm. too, that's still distancing. So if you're seeing, yeah, it's it's people you recognize with modern special special effects and production quality right. and all that stuff. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, at the time, Leonardo DiCaprio was the heartthrob of the century. And if you just didn't know who he was, you were living under a rock. Oh, God, so yeah. even by the time the movie came out, even if you don't didn't know anything about Titanic, if you were in that age group, you were vaguely aware. And it was also making news at the time because it was going over budget, et cetera, et cetera. See, that's the thing I always kept on hearing yeah. about was just all the production stuff. Yeah, yeah. but I, you weren't a middle school girl, so... Um, How do you know? I don't. What are you going to make don't. them assumptions? That is fair. I have just made a massive assumption. You jerk. Um, just because I was like 25... Back when Titanic was released, I was a 25-year-old white guy working his own job. Um, but yeah, that's... I... I, I was born in 1975, so I was 10 years old when they found the Titanic. That is really cool. And so... Because they've, the Titanic's been found my whole life. That's the... Th- and I didn't really know anything about the Titanic until it made news until... Like, I I, I think there was, like, an episode of, like, Leonard Nimoy's In Search Of <laughs> about the Titanic when I was a kid. Leonard Nimoy, when he wasn't doing Star Trek, he had this, like, Unsolved Mysteries-type TV show where he would just talk about, like, ancient alien... Stuff and all kinds of weird mysteries and things like that. But one of the things was like, what happened to the Titanic? Are they ever going to find it and stuff like that? And I maybe seen that, but like, yeah, it wasn't until I was asking you stuff. You should let you talk. But I just want to let you know that like that's my context is that I'm an older guy. But I think that's important because I recently went to um, a non-academic lecture called Titanic Disasters and the Titanic Mistakes, excuse me, and it was um, a list of things that could gone wrong leading up to the disaster but 
I remember being struck by the professor who is, I'm not, I have no idea how old he was, but I'm going to assume he's in his 60s. And he was saying that, you know, he was already in academia by that time and what an absolute game changer it was for someone who was already researching the Titanic and already trying oh, to man, discover yeah. those things to all of a sudden have the real evidence that you've been looking for all this time right there. Yeah. And it kind of made me understand that I was taking it a little for granted in that way because it's always been around. I've always been able to verify the facts. Like, it was never a doubt that it split in half in my lifetime. They knew. It wasn't wasn't up for debate by that point in time there i do remember like my context for that was like of course they were talking about how it was split in half on the right. news and stuff like that and right after that became a big deal they must have republished the walter lord the night goes I on book so. or night to remember that's was that yes, the name of the night to remember titanic fan i should know this and then they put out a book like a year later he wrote a quick sequel talking about all the information that he had gleaned since the discovery and it was like as an eleven-year-old, a year after they, you know, they discovered it. It was interesting to see, uh, to read Walter Lord writing about how all this, the discovery of the wreck, changed the context of like everything he had written back in the nineteen fifties when his first book came out. So that was my my version of that was to kind of still, yeah. But just I never think, but I never thought about being like like an actual living professor, like an academic. How you're like that whole man? Yeah, no, I hadn't. I've only thought about fan impact and stuff same like that, it, it hadn't occurred to me how devastating is not the word but like what is devastating in a positive way no, but still it's a it's sea explosive. change in yeah it's it's brand new information uh, and it, it, it you know it i imagine that it caused at least at the time maybe a lot of controversy among people because the debate over whether or not that ship split in two had been going on since the sinking when a bunch of women and children were in, who were in the lifeboats were saying, hi, that ship split in two, and everyone else was like, no, it did not. Um, it was funny, because like, going back to the Walter Lord thing, too, because he, he spends half that book talking about, okay, yo, that's, that ship split mm -hmm. in half. And even he talks about how that barely even got mentioned. Like, to him, it wasn't even a debate, because it was something that a couple people claimed, but then again, so many people claimed so many weird things mm -hmm. that night that nobody really paid attention. Just like the idea that, like, oh, there's at least one guy who dressed like a woman to get in the boats and stuff like that. Things you kind of, like, hear people say, but you don't really, don't really take it seriously. Right. And I guess the cracking of the ship in half was, like, one of those things. And, like, part of that book, as I, I think it was As the Night Goes On. No, a Night to night Remember. It was the sequel. The, the original one was The Night to Remember. The, oh, second, the second book, which was the one I'm talking it was as, yeah, The Night Lives On. He talks about, okay, now, now what's time we have to go back and reevaluate the evidence, like what those people that we've been, kind of, like, especially him, he himself had ignored in his original book. And it's like, okay, yeah, like sometimes, yeah, even the quote unquote experts get proven wrong. So I was, I, I always thought that was kind of interesting. Also, I know this is a test recording that we're doing, but in case this ever gets out, I don't want to make it seem like I was making light of people and their gender affirmation stuff. I just want to throw that out. This is an accepting place. I'm assuming it is, this an, is accepting an accepting place. place. I am. So don't. I want to make sure that like so the dopey white guys making fun of identity stuff because I think no, no, no. Stuff. I, 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 I think though like. that that's kind of important to address <laughs> because part of what happened in the wake of the sinking. I've been reading um, this book called Down with the Old Canoe. It, I don't remember the subtitle, but something like The Cultural oh, History okay. of the Disaster um, by Stephen Beale. And in it, he talks about how after the ship sank, it was used as a way to really raise up and extol white men and to okay, really yeah. squash down the narrative of others. Like, I think at the time there was a comic published, I believe it might have been of Archibald, but in like, um, he's dressed in a suit holding a gun 
and holding it on a bunch of third-class passengers, and the caption is something like, Sir Archibald but holds a gun to prevent Italian third-class passengers from boarding lifeboats. Yeah. And there was a lot of sort of that happening, and I think that it's kind of important to acknowledge that there was a lot of really negative misogyny and xenophobia that this disaster unfortunately gave people the wrong people an opportunity to use in their favor like there were even people quoted as saying it's such a shame that some of these third class women lived when you know the great minds of billionaires went down instead it's like (sighs) yeah and it was and that was said out loud you know they said the quiet part right out loud well, and, like, even with the, the rumors that there was, like, supposedly a, a guy dressed as a woman got mm-hmm. into the boats, because I guess a couple Asian people survived. There's been, like, Six I Chinese. Think, I'm trying to figure out, did they, did, they mis, did they misinterpret their dress as being, like, you know, if they were wearing whatever, like, just because it was not normal to Western eyes, they just assumed it was a woman in a dress, and, like, all kinds exactly. of shit like that. And, and it was, I just, uh, <clears throat> one of the things that got me into Titanic stuff again was there's, um... Uh, so I can't remember how I heard about it, but there was someone that recommended me. There was a big new Titanic book that just came out within the last couple of years um, on a sea of glass. Yeah, I just got my copy the other day. Be the new. Um, and that's I just finished reading that, and that's one of the first Titanic books where, within the text itself, it actually talks about not a ton, but it talks about some of the racism even before the sinking mm-hmm. happened. Because he even talks about how. Uh, who, who I think it was a whole bunch of people who wrote that book, but who, the, the authors had specifically highlighted like one moment where there was a lady waiting in line for the purser's office, and some guy in front of her turns around and says like, "Oh, he's like, oh, the, the, those Jews in front of us taking their time or something like that." And that's the first time I ever seen anyone actually writing a book about Titanic. Just talk about the casual racism of the time, not even regarding like class issues and the boats and who survived and stuff, but just like so it was, it was it was interesting just to see that kind yeah, of stuff and they, yeah cuz uh, Stephen Beale addressed it was 1912 yeah, so and that fuck Stephen Beale goes into really good detail like the whole book is about the culture at the time it's less about the sinking so he the the down with the old yeah, canoe yeah down with the old canoe um yeah. i think the sub i'm you know i have google literally right in front of me i am at a computer i if you heard me typing that's cuz i was looking it up i have the loudest keyboard read... ever which is why i was trying not to type but <laughs> you got one of those clicky clacky 1980s <laughs> Yeah. It wasn't even on purpose. I've had it for a long time. Sound like you're hacking the yeah. matrix. Hold on one it. second. No, take your time. We're in. Oh, you <laughs> mean, like you're that. making um, a joke. I see what yes, you Yes, it's called you Down with the Old Canoe, A Cultural History of the I Titanic. I read this back in the yeah, day. Yeah, It's really, really good. Okay. I was thinking about, because again, getting into the Titanic stuff, I was thinking about old books I'd written, like, like maybe 20 years ago, and I think that's one of, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah. It came yeah. out about 20 years ago, um, 2003. Shit, yeah, I think I, hmm. I'll let you talk. <laughs> well, it's a really good, good book, and I think that it's one of those things where it's, we don't think about how the narrative may have been shaped for us. Um, when when you were yeah. told the story, because, for example, one thing that the book had to point out to me that... I just didn't think about was that huh. Isidore and Ida Strauss were referred to, were basically made honorary Anglo-Saxons, as he said in his book, um, in the sinking, to kind of extol them and lift them up. And they basically had to be reclaimed by the Jewish community who were like, no, 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 those are ours. Could you stop that, please? Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's that sort of thing that I happened. didn't even think about in the last 20 years, all the different kinds of like more like, like actual like writings like that like because i've been out of loop for 20 Same. years like i didn't even think about all the advancements like maybe the last thing i read was maybe this uh, down with the old canoe mm-hmm. book 
And I maybe I thought that was interesting 20 years ago, but I didn't even think about how more people would have built on top. Of okay, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, I would that's actually good. be really interested yeah. if he or someone else would do a follow-up, you know, 20 years in the future, what we've now learned culturally since then. Because yeah. I remember, going back to the question you asked me a while ago, which is how I got into um, Titanic, was one, not minor, but one plot point really caught my attention when I was watching it, and that was um, the fate of First Officer Murdoch. And... Mm-hmm. I remember, you know, being a kid and watching, and I, I, I don't even know if when I was that age I knew what suicide was. I, I, I don't know that I did. Yeah, because you said you were like eight what, or nine, like eight? right? That is a wild concept, especially that comes out it of the does. blue in that movie. It too. does, and I think you yeah. know, and that was shocking for me because it was like this man has been doing everything so right. He's helping everybody, and it was it was an accident. What happened? Because if you don't remember. Um, Somebody jumps into the crowd, which forces the crowd to surge forward, which he mistakes as men rushing the boat. So he shoots. And it turns out that's not what happened, but then he feels guilt, salutes an officer, and, and, and shoots himself in the head. And I remember just sitting in the theater like, I wanted to pause and be like, somebody needs to explain this to me. Like, right well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I was really yeah. upset. Ends. Because I yeah. just didn't get it. I can see that being, being like a life... Uh, maybe life-changing moment is a little bit much to say, but like... That's one of those things in a pop culture thing that dents you when yeah. you're a kid, and you're like, what the hell was yeah, that? that didn't yeah. make sense. I could totally empathize with Right, that. like, you've been doing all the right things, like, you're doing, every, you've been saving so many people, this was, you don't have time, you don't have time to be sorry for yourself, the boat's going, the boat's going down! So how'd that affect your, like, what was so, the... So, that, interestingly enough, that stuck with me, and it also stuck with me in that, that's a fact way. I'm one of those people that was just like, wow, isn't that so sad, what happened to that man? And... Mm-hmm. It kind of always stuck with me that it, the, that scene and the rest of the emotional impact of that movie is what kind of made me realize how not only impactful fiction is, but how you can weave in history to make it feel relevant again. And that was a big moment for me. And I was also very fortunate to have the best English teacher I'd had in my entire teaching life at that time, who really encouraged my reading and my writing. And I'm... Uh, I'm neurodivergent. I'm, I'm unusual. I didn't have a lot of friends. So having that interest was very important. And it came back around. I don't remember how old I was when Cameron issued the apology, um, where he acknowledged that by taking that creative liberty without, I mean, I know there's some debate as to who it was, were there gunshots, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, Cameron. Or even if there was a suicide. Exactly. But Cameron himself even acknowledged, you know, I was just a filmmaker making a story and I thought it was a good story. I didn't even think of how that might affect his legacy. And that brought it all back to me where it was like that that was a reaffirmation of how important fiction can be that I just assumed that was a fact and that shifted that again to where it was like this pa- it fiction is powerful. Storytelling is powerful. It is connective and it brings people together and that's ultimately why I wanted to start the show because I think that as I said in the beginning it keeps the church, you know, it keeps the story alive. It keeps the interest going, but it also just helps people connect. And especially when talking to, you know, fans, everyone has their own kind of reason for liking Titanic, whether it's just because it was a pretty movie or if they have an emotional mm, yeah. story. And when you let people just talk about why they like something and how it impacted them, you learn a lot. It tells the story of itself. It does. Why they're trying right. to and so, you know, for me, it's not because I found a piece of steel and was like, this is neat, what can it make? <laughs> like, that wasn't it for me. For me, it was like, 
wow, what a sad story. Hang on, that might not all be true. And then when I went and researched it more, it was like, hang on, Murdoch might have been responsible for saving up to 75% of the passengers because he, women, and children firsted, not only. The uh, On the Sea of Glass book, too, they have a little chapter at the end, a little epilogue where they talk about, like, okay, if there was a suicide on the ship, who would have mm-hmm. been? And they're talking about the case for Murdoch. And I didn't even realize because, like, I I I went back and rewatched the movie after reading the book because, like, they also pointed out like one of the big cases for it if there if someone did commit suicide, it being Murdoch was he was the uh, commanding officer in charge when the ship hit mm-hmm. the iceberg. So not only do you have the fact that he just may have accidentally just shot a couple people, but he's also like he's got the weight of the fact that everything's happening. He might be thinking like this is yeah. his fault. And so that is an extra kind of horror that never even occurred to me, even though I've seen the movie a bunch of times. You know, I've read everything about the disaster. It never really sunk in that, like, oh, shit, yeah, that's also, like, ooh. And I, I yeah, this is all interesting because, like, you going back to the, the, the James Cameron having to issue mm-hmm. an apology to, to his family and stuff like that, that's one of my favorite things about history is the fact that, like, because it's history, <laughs> and most history is distant enough that, you know, there's no living people left around from who witnessed that history. So you have to kind of piece together everything uh, after the events have happened. And so you have to, you have, you have, anyone who's serious about learning about history has to learn that, like, the who's telling the story is a story in of itself. And, like, the politics of, this kind of goes back to what you're saying, like, the politics of all this stuff, too. It's like, yeah, whose story is being, I mean, I guess this is the whole point of the Hamilton thing, yeah. is like, who tells your story, and why, and how, who, who's the who's the story being told to, and what pieces are being left out, and like, that becomes an interesting kind of like sleuth thing going on there too, and it's, it's mysteries and stories on top of mysteries and stories, and god, yeah, it's all just a big tangle of just humanity and storytelling and it is and i don't want to sound like weird and pedantic when i say i love the you know grand tradition grand you know tradition of oral storytelling but i think that especially with history that kind of stuff is important because we don't as you said we don't have the you know survivors anymore we only have their descendants or the descendants of the victims and we only learn about those people by, you know, tracing the conversation backwards through history. And, like, stuff like the, cra- the the ship breaking in half, too. That's point example there where, like, that's something that happened that everyone just kind of brushed off, even though, like, a decent number of people were like, that ship broke in half. And everyone just kind of ignored it. So, if, like, you know, but if, if historians can get something, and that's one get kind of going back to Walter Lord, him going like, oh, man, like, I totally miss misunderestimated what these people were talking about if you can get something like that wrong imagine how much other stuff right. you take for granted is true about the it's, it's still true about the, what we still think is true about the scene of the Titanic that we probably get wrong too but like yeah and that just applies to all kinds yeah. of historical not just Titanic. i think it's really funny though because i remember when i was younger and learned that fact about you know the women and children who had been off the the ship for the longest time and were watching it go down they all said that they saw the ship sink and, I mean, break in half and then sink. And I remember thinking, like, why are they believing them? Why are there's so many of them? And then it just hit me. It's like, oh, women in 1912, yeah. Natch. They were all hysterical, grief stricken. I'm sure. I haven't gotten this far in the in the book yet, but just just considering at a loose as a loose matter the concept of believing women not not really being at the forefront of people's. Uh, priority list at the time 
Mm-hmm. And I think I saw a theory that said that part of the reason they might have tried to rearrange that narrative about the ship not breaking in half was that it would be really bad for um, White Starline. Which I understand that, you know, you don't want to be seen as our ships just... But I think this was a pretty extraordinary circumstance. Yeah, it's... it's the, of all the things to happen that night, the ship breaking in half is like... Yeah, that's it's not that's unimportant. Still, the people died. It doesn't really matter if the ship broke in half at some point I, or I not. I agree with like, you because yeah. at the end of the day, whether it split in half or split in thirds or went down all in one piece, yeah. it's like X number of people died, and their their descendants aren't sitting at home going, "Thank God, I might have lost my husband and my sons, but it did split in two. That's the kind of thing only the hardcore Titanic nerds really care about. It's like that kind I of mean, stuff. I mean, yeah. I care about yeah, it in yeah, the sense yeah. that it's accurate, but I, I care I care about it less because for me, what I find interesting about Titanic is the human elements of it all. It's like, yeah, it it's split in half, or it's I love learning facts about how it was built, or you know, the technology. It's all neat, and I think that's very fun to learn. But I'm more interested personally in, like I said, that element of humanity and like how it was. For many people, it was, you know, their ticket to a new life. For many people, it was not a good thing. That, the drama, the whole... Oh, that, that's kind of the funny thing about the Titanic. It's it's a little... I don't want to say it's unique, because... But uh, there's not a lot of disasters where there's so much, like... The technical aspect plus the drama aspect... Uh, versus even the archaeological mm-hmm. aspect of like exploring the wreck and stuff like that, I can see why the Titanic fandom is a little, little nutso, a little kind of split in kind of multiple ways. Because you're gonna have the rivet heads who really only care about like the, the kind of the right. ship aspects, and then you have the people who really only care about the drama stuff. And like, you could see, I could see why there might be extra gatekeeping within a fandom like that because. I'm sure you have, you know, some of the older folks, regardless even what part of the fandom mm-hmm. they're into, like probably gatekeeping gets the people who only got into Titanic because of the movie and stuff like that. But there like, is a lot of hate for, for that. And I, I... Which I can... I don't want to say it's justified, but I can... I, I, I'm a naturally hateful person. <laughs> Same. I, I, am, I, I can understand that. I, don't, I, can empathize, I can empathize even if I don't agree. But at the same time, they're still in the Titanic. Let those people alone. This is a cool, whatever, as long as you guys have the same Being interest. Being one of those, because I am one of those people, and I think yeah. that the the argument I want to give to those people is, how else in that year, in that time when I was yeah. that age, did you want me to find Titanic? I That is that is my question to the world. Like, all right. And those are the people who just want to keep it to themselves, though, because they think it's just their hobby, and they, 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 they want to make it like an elitist weird thing, which is, it's weird, because it's suddenly you're turning to a first-class passenger on the Titanic, right. where you're stratifying the fandom into classes and treating the ones quote unquote below you as lesser. And that's than. what I think is silly. You should, they, don't you? You relive you. You're reenacting the event. <laughs> Maybe that's much to say that like the people who got into the Titanic because of the movie are the third class passengers. <laughs> you know, drowning below decks. But Maybe. you know, but it's still like don't be a jerk. You know, I mean, most on. of us don't are millennials, a... and we are kind of being just massively stomped on by the world. So, well, that's the <laughs> other thing too. And that's what frustrates me is that I understand gatekeeping if someone is just being fucking rude or wrong. That's what I'm saying. As a naturally hateful person, I could at least understand like that. Just kind of like you're just not. Yeah, you're just coming in defensive for no reason. You're like, nah, Jack and Rose were real, and 
fuck you if you don't believe. It's like, okay, <laughs> you need to go. Where's Jack Skellington? Have you found <laughs> Jack Skellington yet? You know, if he were as tall as Jack Skellington, he might have actually been able to stand on the ocean I floor I love the and idea live. they go to, and they actually find out he's actually there with Sally and, and There was and that Zero scene in um, James and the Giant Peach where they go underwater and Jack Skellington is the captain of the ship. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. I've not seen that in theaters, but I Hashtag do remember theory, that. theory. Yeah. Somebody plotted out. I can't believe I actually called him Jack Skellington. I didn't even mean But I, I did. God, anyway. That was fun, though. <laughs> Freudian slip. I want to I bone Jack Skellington. Jack Skellington anyway, is a little mopey for me, but great singing voice. Yeah, down, down yeah, for a great singer. It's funny how much he sounds like Danny Elfman. I mean, but I think yeah. the love of movies for for a lot of people who are in the Titanic fandom, not even just the Cameron film, but there is a lot of other Titanic movies. I haven't. They're all terrible. Well, I haven't seen them. That's I've tried to see them, <laughs> and like they're, they're, just they're dumb. Like there's a Nazi one. I've heard that exists. What is that? I've only seen the clips, and I know I'm not in the mood to be watching any Nazi Titanic <laughs> movies these days. But oh my god! Well, no, I think it's, I, I think maybe they changed it so it's technically not a Titanic movie, but I think it is like it's either that or like the Titanic gets saved by like a German ship. Or I know that like there that. is. One. It was, obviously it was Nazi propaganda, but it was all. Like, I I heard about it because <sighs> my favorite Titanic podcast is Unsinkable, the Titanic podcast with host L.A. Beatles and. She posted an episode recently that was like, my husband and I watched the Nazi Titanic film. And I was just like, you what? And suddenly you just say out of the blue to strangers, hey, you know, the Nazi Titanic. Right, it was just like, I'm sorry. I'm I thought sorry. I was having a normal day. What did I just read? Um, I'm sorry. I'm typing. I need to look up. I, cause I'm, I love that we're recording a podcast about Titanic. Titanic, and now I'm taking notes Nazi about Titanic, Titanic podcasts I should listen to. But Okay, Unsinkable. She's okay, really good. I like that. her. Um... She does a more, like, the scripted, fact-based approach, but okay. I really, obviously, I like her, and she has one of those... Oh, so it's kind of like, um, well, who's the lady who does the, um, join me, won't you? You may I not don't know, know who that is. Uh, Katrina Longworth, yeah. she's the she's the wife of the guy who did Ryan Johnson, who did The Last Jedi, okay. and I was out. Shut up, Bill. I'm gonna let you talk. I don't know. These are interesting things. I also like Star Wars. <laughs> I can ramble, because if you can ramble, I can ramble, and we, we can start rambling. This at least stops being about a Titanic altogether when <laughs> we're talking about, like, um, as someone who, like, I haven't been into the, into the Titanic fandom in 20 years, but every spring I do end up, you know, every April 15th, I end up watching the, the, the Titanic movie. Even though I'm not a big fan of the movie, but still, you know, what else are you going to do? It's the current, um, it is the current Titanic film. Yeah, that, I mean, and I can't imagine anything topping it anytime soon, because that's such, such be a once in a generation. Maybe 50 years from now, somebody will come in and try to outdo it. My Actually, one of my favorite Titanic anecdotes, uh, which it, the last time we'll talk about Star Wars, is there's a little bit in one of the behind-the-scenes documentaries of making, I think it's The Phantom Menace, the first you know prequel one that came right, out in right. 1999. And I think it's like, I think they're in the middle of filming in 1998, and everyone's hanging out with George Lucas behind the scenes. I can't remember what scene they're filming, but everyone's talking about like how well the movie might do, how well the Phantom Menace is going to do in the box office. And everyone's like, "Well, it's going to be Titanic," because you know Titanic had just right. come out. And like everyone's like, "Hey, you know, it's like how's this not going to become the number right. one?" Right, that's a romance movie on a boat. And like Lucas is the one who comes out and he says, "Like, I don't think, I don't think we're going to be Titanic. Titanic. I think it's Titanic was such like a huge thing that like, yeah. like I he and he just points out that like." Also, he just points out that, like, Star Wars movies can fail, because he even talks about, like, uh... But anyway, just put, like, the idea that it was George Lucas himself, the guy making, the, like, this new Star Wars movie in 1998, being all like, 
oh yeah, no, I don't, I th- I, th- I think this movie will do well, but I don't think we're going to be Titanic, because Titanic was such a juggernaut, such such a once-in-a-generation thing that even a new Star Wars movie isn't going to be, and he was absolutely correct. Titanic was number one until fucking Avatar. You going to start an Avatar? We're not going to talk about now? Avatar. <laughs> Which is disappointing, because I love Zoe Saldana. I saw behind the... Oh, Wonderful. Yeah. I saw a behind-the-scenes clip from TikTok the other day. I don't have TikTok. I just watched them that posted on Facebook where someone posted a um, side-by-side comparison of the scene where Natiri confronts Jake. Jake, I think is his name. She's like, you lied to me, Hilarious. you lied to me, and she's really angry. Oh, yeah. But then they show her, Zoe, doing the acting, Damn. and her, she is heartbroken she is upset. Yeah. You see it in her face. She looks like she's going to cry. She's like, you, you, I can't. No. You hear her voice breaking and you're like, and I think the caption for the TikTok was, oh, she was acting under that. But it's, <laughs> it's not to say she didn't give a good performance, but it obscurates no, but it's still a little, the, the little yeah, things. Yeah, something about just doesn't quite. Right. Like you don't quite get the tremor of the lip. You don't get the, t- yeah. the uh, like the tear. The only thing I care about the new Avatar movies is that at least Zoe Saldana. Came back. And some actors I got got a paycheck out I love of it. Her. Oh, and none of them seem to drown. So at least <laughs> that's, that's going for them. But yeah, so. it's it's interesting though because going back to like if they had done CG with Titanic, I think of the scenes where CG was used, and I wonder if it could only enhance them because they seemed mostly to be used in transitory capacities. But yeah. then again, that's because they had real footage to zoom in and out of. So I wonder that's probably a, mu- a moot point. That one, the big shot of the movie where it's, you know, the, the ship's sailing off for the first time, and it's it's the King of the World yeah. thing where, like, it's right after King of the World where the camera just racks across the whole length of the ship, and you get to see all the people walking around. It's it's the one big beauty shot shot in the movie that is, like, the one they really spent mm-hmm. all their time and money on. That was beautiful in, in 1997. These days... Oh, it's a little <laughs> it's rough. A little, the, it's a little... It's not terrible. But, like, the people are obviously, like, little PlayStation people And they're kind on of the floating in some places. <laughs> like they're... Yeah, which is not bad. <laughs> but that's one of the things, because we live in a world that's still soaked with CGI, I think there's something that's more offensive to the eye about bad CGI than, like, bad practical effects from before the CGI era. Because it just assumed that everything was going to look kind of weird to yeah. begin with. But, like, they're so close to being so photorealistically perfect... That just, yeah, being off, I mean, everyone talks about the Uncanny Valley, but, like, that is still, like, yeah. It's the one, it's the um, one big part that I think, like you said, when you watch it in this day and age, you're like, mm. <laughs> you yeah, giggle exactly. a little. And that's the one thing I would be, I, even if they just went back and re-rendered yeah. those effects, and I don't have to even reshoot, I would be fascinated to see James Cameron do a, God, it's James Cameron, he's gonna yeah, just do, do that, just redo he's that. Not, he's gonna do it someday. Well, because the thing is, this is the, what, 24? <sighs> Fifth and it's got to be. Is it? To the this 20th is the. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, and it's the because that was nineteen ninety seven mm-hmm. to two thousand. And it's the one hundred and tenth. Yeah. this year is the hundred and tenth of the sinking. So I'm imagining they'll do something at some point. And ten years from now, or twenty or something, like one of those anniversaries. Yeah. Maybe another twenty five years. But you know what? I want my my tit- my Titanic remake because there's always that meme goes around like we'll take a movie and replace. Mm-hmm. All the characters, Muppets. but one with Muppets. I want like, I want Cal to be the only human in a Muppet remake. I have a remake. feeling that Billy Zane would love that. I don't know him because he's totally. But it yeah. seems like he 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 put himself in a movie that Ben Stiller yelled, "Put a cork in it, Zane." So yeah, that's I, Billy Zane always felt to me like the one person who really understood kind of the melodramatic movie that he was in. 
Like, not to say everyone, like, I like people mm-hmm. in Titanic, but Billy Zane is such a cartoon Have you seen the behind-the-scenes footage where he uses his cane to knock someone's top hat off, and then they, like, Jedi joust for a second? <laughs> no, it's really I didn't see good. that. I did see, someone just posted to Reddit the other day of, I guess Billy mm-hmm. Zane just found his behind-the-scenes They were so Polaroids. cute. That is goddamn cute. Especially him hanging, I, part of me was like, oh, he and Kate Winslet seem to get along they look fine. Like they're no, friends. Like, okay, man, that made me very yeah, there's happy. Yeah, there's one where she's yeah. leaning and over and just, like, licking his cheek like an obnoxious person. Like, bleh. Yeah, and, like, they totally, like, they look, they look like kids they do. hanging out. Even, there's a few. Or something. Like, they look very cute. And he actually, he had a very cool, like, photo of her on the deck beautiful. of the ship at dusk. And I was beautiful. like, okay, that's actually a fucked up cool photograph yeah, to have. I, that is actually somebody a piece of Somebody posted about that there. saying, like, he should get that. Uh, blown up and printed out because it's just an objectively good photo. One thing I learned by reading um, Veronica Hinkie's book and listening to her interview on Unsinkable was like uh, the thought that had never crossed my mind is that like women's clothing for, for upper class women was designed to be put on by somebody else. Like yeah. Rose wouldn't have even been able to take off her own fucking clothes because of however it was fastened or sealed or whatever the case may be. So it's like that level of control. There is a corset scene in that movie, hmm? right? Yeah, there is a yeah, corset yeah. There's scene. A... Like, so that's legally obligated. If you have a movie that takes place before, like, 1920, like, you gotta have the corset the, uh, yank. Like, whole, hold on to the banister. There's a, you know, maid helping yep, the, the Scarlet O'Hara moment. But it's just interesting when you think about it, because, you know, I mean, obviously, I'm wearing a t-shirt right now. It's not a big deal. But if I literally had to wait for someone to put on and take off my clothes, I would be so mad just day in and day out. That just restricts everything you can do. And that stuff did not look comfortable to sit in either. So it's just like they make it so you can't run. They give you no options. You have no education. You are married off when you are 16, 17. That's it. I I don't know how you live through that. I don't either. I, I I mean that's that 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 speaks to my own um privilege as a white guy living in the 21st century. <laughs> but I'm just like shit, man, like And then people wonder why people like that goddamn movie, the Titanic movie. It's because like I mean there's plenty of like made for TV lifetime movies about like, you know, female freedom mm-hmm. and shit like that, but like like I do not blame women for being like holy shit, here's like a major blockbuster movie. About just the most basic shit about being a lady in modern society. Society, even though it was, like, just modern from a century <laughs> ago. But, like, and then, like, all these dudes are so confounded, like, why do you like that movie? How, why is this so popular? It's just, like, all, it's, it's, it's half the population of the planet. All you have to do is, like, do the most basic thing to serve them, and they'll be happy. And they'll be, I mean, maybe not, I mean, not everyone's gonna be shit-slappingly happy right. about it and, like, have no problems with it. But, like, yeah, it's, come on, just, like, fucking... Give him a throw him a bone, Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah, it's just, yeah. I think that goes back to that gatekeeping again, where some people are just determined yeah. to keep things the way that it is, and unfortunately that... That's the, especially the gender yeah. gatekeeping around that movie is especially it's just bonkers. like... Come on, dude. Because it's I like, think Cameron that's... himself said that it was like, the movie is about Rose, it's a feminist story, it's about a young girl choosing yeah. her own destiny, and... You know, that's really important. As you said, there was a major blockbuster film that featured a female main character who, you know, literally spits in the face of... I guess she actually Yeah, literally spits in the face of her old life and says, I don't want this. 
Does that count? Yes, it is. It into it has to be, right? Okay, yeah. It wasn't her mom. Again, <laughs> no. I, it's funny because I watch that movie every spring, but like, it shows how much of that movie actually retains She's my brain. running yeah. from the boat, and her mom is screaming her name, and then Cal grabs her and is like... Oh, that's right. And I think that's the last time she probably actually even communicates with Cal, I, right? Because after that... the last... Is that the, literally the last thing no, she does? No, it's the last time she... That, that scene is, is interesting to me as an adult, because I now realize that that is the last scene where she sees her mother. Okay, Cal that's what it is. Because I remember something. It's it's Cal okay. Sees yeah. her again, and then there's the, the revolver. That's and... one of the weirdest parts of that movie is her relationship with her mom, yeah. and that's if that's the last time she sees that her mom. That to me yeah. was why it was because the whole movie you watch and you don't particularly think that what's well, Ruth Ruth cares about Rose, but in those moments, what what did it for me was when the lifeboat started lowering. And you see Rose running away and you hear her screaming her name, not just Rose, Rose, but she's screaming like, um, like a mother calling for a child, screaming hysterically for her daughter. And presumably not just because Rose is her brother. No, because she's her daughter. Because she actually, it's her At the end of the day, I I know some people might see that as, oh, she just didn't want her to get away. I'm maybe choosing to read, read it positively because this woman is realizing that if her daughter runs away there is an exceptionally high probability she will die. And it, and this is literally her trying to save her daughter's life. And she can't. And I think... I need to go back and rewatch. I need to do like a mom... <laughs> Rose's mom's movie rewatch of that movie just to focus on her and see what that... Because it's really... Because like, it doesn't help that like right before that when she's getting into the boat. She's like... Oh, the life of the boat is according to class. She's like... Okay, I, you know what? Actually, her mom would probably be way more sympathetic in that movie if you just delete that one line. Because that is so I also just think like that keeping it in is kind is, of important mm. because it just shows that that is you thought. That is how you thought. That is just how you thought. Like you said the quiet part out loud, and it was normal. Yeah. And yeah, it's and 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 it feels like I I think my one of my problems with that line is that it feels more like. James Cameron just being like, oh, rather than the character. I mean, I, I mean, it makes sense for the character to get, say that too, but it seems a little bit almost like even too arch for that character a little bit, but yeah. I don't disagree. Oh, I guess it also really depends on like where in the timeline of the sinking were they? Was it still when the ship was level yeah. and everyone was like, not a big deal. Not a big deal. Because it seems like they get into the boats pretty they did, early. Because, oh yeah, I remember what happened because Ruth makes that joke. And then Rose grabs her immediately by the shoulder and just shakes her. Oh, that's yes, when she really turns against the mom. She's just that like, is yeah. when they have that moment and she was like, don't you understand? Half the people on the ship are going to die. And that's the one thing Cameron does to make Rose smarter than everyone else is by making her buddies with a, a, a yeah. Thomas Andrews. Is that she has that insider information. So she's like the one person on the boat other than the captain and Thomas Andrews. Yeah, and that was also very important. Which that's a little bit of editorializing too, where it's like, it's not realistic that she would probably know that. Even if she was like buddies with uh, Thomas Andrews, but like, it's funny that like he's, she, like he's her like Titanic uncle on the (laughs) ship. I read something somewhere, and maybe it was in A Night to Remember, where apparently a survivor claimed to have heard like him saying that to somebody and so cameron was like well i'm just gonna make that somebody rose which but it's like it's like i don't know if that would necessarily happen but i think that that it's not entirely impossible because it seems like thomas andrews was a pretty honest like responsible guy and he would try to at least get 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 that information out without trying to call the um all the uh accounts that i see referring to him seem to be along that line where he was like i'm not gonna cause a panic but i'm not gonna lie to people but I think that that on the Sea of Glass book uh-huh. that I just finished, 
It's like crazy. I was expecting if any book is going to dig up anything about Thomas Andrews, like kicking puppies <laughs> or something like that, that would have been the book. And they, even that book is consistently Thomas Andrews was a saint. You know, so I was like, okay, I guess maybe he was legitimately cool. and like. It sounded yeah, like so. he was. All accounts say that he treated the people who worked for him regardless of status very well. And I'm sure that he had his own issues being a part of the upper class. I'm sure he wasn't a literal I'm saint. I'm sure if he saw a black person, he'd run. He'd, he'd, <laughs> yeah, he I mean, wouldn't want to hear what he had to say. Right, or if someone like, had said gay around him, he might have fainted. But like, oh God, yeah, exactly. But within the scale of what ex- we're talking exactly. about. Yeah. And going back yeah. to... To the point that whenever I see that actor Victor now, Garber. I was like, oh, I love Victor Thompson. Garber, national yeah. treasure. Victor Garber. I didn't know he was gay. Not that it matters for anything like that, but like, I was like, oh, Tom Sanders is gay. I love him. Um, but um, I think that moment with Ruth and Rose, because that is their last interaction. Hmm. I, I remember the scene pretty well because she says half the people are going to die. And then Cal says not the better half. And that's when they and that is when they have that conversation but by this time, Molly Brown has, like, ushered Ruth into the boat and is trying to get Rose to come in. And after she and Cal have had that exchange and she realized what happened, that's when she starts backing away. But by now, Ruth has heard what Rose had said. And so even though the boat doesn't seem like it's sinking, she's heard... She's gotten that she ha- Yeah, so, so she now she, yeah, even though it may not seem like the boat is sinking, people aren't panicking yet, she knows that Rose running back into that ship means she'll probably never see her again. And, sh- and she doesn't. That's the best thing about, again, about the story is that, like, it's so multifaceted. We'll draw so many people from so many different backgrounds for so many different reasons that there's no one reason why everyone's drawn to the yeah. Titanic, but it's, yeah, it's just like human Rorschach test. Yeah. Like, where it's just, you know, you kind of bring your own baggage with it. That's, you know, what if there's any one benefit to that movie coming out, it's just the breadth of crazy shit like that that came out. One thing that I didn't think about was that, obviously, this was Titanic's maiden voyage, um, but people would keep things intentionally like little napkins or note cards or menus because it had the white star line and titanic branding as something to be able to be like hey look at this thing yeah and so that's how many of them survived i think that someone pointed out that one of the officers had like his lunch menu still in his pocket just from earlier in the day so these Mm. yeah but unfortunately like now everything's digital but i don't it doesn't seem as though the white star line kept you know these archives of those things because outside of the few that exist it's not like they are able to go back and be like here is the printing block for you know wednesday's first class dinner like they just just don't have that especially with the white star line being sold off eventually and stuff like that there's yeah even if they did have an archive yeah at the time probably you know thinking about being a person in 1915 for example trying to move on from the titanic disaster i don't think many that's that's true. If you're working for the White Star Line, there's no reason to hang on to Titanic <laughs> stuff because, yeah, well, I didn't even think about that part, yeah. The same way that, you know, uh, after um, Carpathia arrived in New York, people just, like, vultured the lifeboats for paraphernalia. I the same Yeah! Thing. It never occurred to me, because, like, while reading that book, like, getting towards the end of the book, like, the yeah. on the sea of glass thing... I was like, what did, and like, they actually, of course, they, they answered the question. It was like, yeah, people the just names. like ripped off because I guess there were like Titanic name placards oh, yeah. on the boats just... and people just ripped them off. And, but then the boats just like, like yeah. rotted in a warehouse for like five years and no one knows what happened after that. It's so. that kind of thing where, again, you now in 2022, we think, why didn't they save those? They're so important. But at the time, it's like, we just had a big fucking disaster. How about, how do we recover from this? Somebody come up with a plan, plan, plan. It's like, they weren't thinking of how to... Well, it's about, like, asking someone now, like, why didn't you hang on to your 9-11 newspaper or or something? Like, 
Although I guess uh, there's a decent number of people who did hang on to that because we true. live in such a collector's culture now. But like back in the day, yeah. Well, not only that, but it was less collecting. Around. And I think especially at the, you know, maybe it's me assuming things, but manufacturing and et cetera was new. So I think there was a very different interest in consumption yeah. and less keeping because obviously now we realize, well, I mean, it's not that people never kept stuff. Well, there wasn't quite as much as the middle class yeah. with everyone owning their own home. <laughs> There's not that much of a middle class now with everyone owning their own home. But, like, we, we already lived past that bubble. That was less than a century mm. for the American middle class. But, like, yeah, yeah there people, wasn't quite... Yeah, yeah, That was another that. thing that I remember thinking well, about that hadn't occurred to me either, is that for many of the people who did survive, they lost everything. Like, you didn't have a bank with your credit card. You can't just go get a credit card. I... When thinking about what, how did Rose live? What was her first meal when she, like, again, Rose is pretend, but that's a good way to think about, like, what, like, how did you, if you were just, yeah, how did you survive just for the 24 hours? Yeah, because I was, I read a book called The Girl Who Came Home by Hazel Gaynor, and it's a, it's a historical. Man, you you got a mind for this shit. You should be working at a library. Um. That's all. It's not like I read <laughs> okay, this 20 yeah. years ago. But um, she created, you know, a fictional young woman who manages to survive the sinking. She's the only one out of her group who is. And um, they were based on a real group out of Ireland called the Adagul 14. Um, it was 14 people from one small city in Ireland who all went on Titanic together. And I, I actually don't know if any of them survived, but I think maybe one or two. But yeah. in this book, you know, the girl Maggie, she gets... Spoiler alert for anyone who's about to read this book. Skip. Um, but if she gets to New York and she has, she has family, she has a sister who can take her in, who has like a spare room for her. It's not much, but for a lot of these people, they were coming there to meet relatives. So I imagine that's what it is. But yeah, for someone like Rose, who now has nothing, I've often wondered about that too. Like I imagine there was probably some sort of like first aid relief just set up for everyone. Yeah. I, I do. The sea glass thing taught does did talk about how people like the mm-hmm. white star line did raise uh Victim you know relief. like some funds to help out people well the god knows how many of that went to actually poor people and just like who, who, who again knows? it's 1912 who knows how that stuff was actually distributed to anybody who wasn't already kind of like a middle class or rich white guy but um but yeah <laughs> yeah like especially as 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 a lady by herself in new york with only like a giant billion dollar diamond which she never does name. anything like, yeah. with like besides hide it for her whole life yeah just yeah i'm, not th- I'm glad to see she's got a yeah. like life outside of titanic she I just that was really cool too people. i mean and this, yeah. again this is all speaking of like her character being fictional but it's like it's also a very privileged voice that's that's the one of the things and like but people use that as a hammer to like to fuck up the women who like that movie where it's like oh you just like the rich white girl and it's like no like but this is kind of what we we're talking about before about how like the conflict of like the telling the story of a woman but she's also rich and what but like i'm gonna stop and let you talk i'm sorry i mean the whole point of a conversation is two people (laughs) i get excited about things yeah it's like and that was it's it's, man what i think about that movie the more entertaining is just like even i get to talk i don't know i don't get a chance to talk about that movie with anyone like but that's but it's also for and you know going back to why i liked it and for me it i'm a visual person mm-hmm. and being able to see titanic in color yeah no nope. was helpful mm, yeah. to illustrate how grand it was because you see it in black and white and it's really hard to see the details and the paneling and like stairs man everything looks it's just what but then you see that he's rebuilt it and then you know the scene where 
you know, Jack walks into the first class dining room and he pans up and you see that whole glass ceiling. It's like, that was so, that was such a pretty place. Is that the glass ceiling? Is that the same? Is that the first class dining room? You later see a dead body floating in later on. Cause they keep. Can I also tell you that 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 scene when it happened in the theater, I, that before I don't remember where that came. I don't know if that came before the suicide or after. But that scene. That's another thing because it's kid. just a, just the corpse of a beautiful oh, lady she's just, just floating, and they make sure to showcase that lighting fixture a couple times just so when you see it later, it's like oh, she, like, it's it's so distinctive that it's just like, just such a nice grace note note towards I don't the end of that movie. Think... Now that okay, now that I mentioned, I now that you mentioned, I don't think that was the grand skylight, but I know that there was more than one sort of like glass ceiling area. Yeah. But the big one, which was the dome on top of the grand staircase, the hadn't point. filled up by that point. Man. But yeah, that scene freaked me out because when I was younger, you know, it's a young woman with long hair and uh, wearing a long dress, and for just like one hot second, you think, oh my god, is that Rose? Yeah, I could, I could see that. Yeah. And that's just, and if, I mean, I don't know if I was the only one who thought well, that, but I did for a second. Like, that, 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 that corpse is definitely done out to be very, very kind of ghostly. Like, it's the, the like, yeah, the, like, yeah, you get the effect. There's a reason. Supposed to be, but, yeah. yeah, and then there's just this, like, dull strings underneath just playing this slow dirge sounding thing. And then it immediately cuts to the, I think it's the plates just f- smashing onto the Which floor. That's, yeah, just the, that, that whole miniature society falling apart at the seams right there at the end. Yeah, and that's what it is. Like, you're seeing one of the first losses... And then you're just seeing how how fast it's all going. And it's just and, really, well, and then also doubled mm-hmm. with it because you got the priest and he's reading the last rites over that stuff too. And it's just actually like oh shit. Well, especially the the story of Titanic, the most everyone, especially before the movie came out, was like, oh, it's all about women and children first. This the sacrifice of all these rich white dudes. And also, it's a big tragedy that they pretty much stuffed third class down below ducks until they drowned. And so at least with at least within that, at least people like the, the the tragedy of third class is still like you know part of the overall like the larger the portrait of the Titanic yeah, people's imagination. But it is it does suck that it's most like yes, John Jacob Astor he was a hero, and, like, yeah, he was a rich white and, guy. And all the other narratives get ripped out. Like I didn't I haven't seen it yet because I haven't managed to catch a digital screening in my time yet. But the documentary The Sixth came out, which was about the sixth of the um there were eight chinese passengers on titanic and six survived the sinking okay um and it's about them and how basically after the sinking they were just like ostracized completely cut out i don't i think there was surprised there was a whole thing pick them up like well the thing is when they got into new york they were there were a a, from this is me quoting from memory but if i remember correctly there was some mild debate as to whether or not they'd be allowed to disembark because there that's was a very about, strong that's anti-Chinese that's sentiment. Like, yeah, exactly. But, there's like, a, but at the time, there was a really, really strong anti-Asian, oh, that's especially anti-Chinese probably just sentiment. Like, probably a decade or two after the... Specifically the anti... Were the, yeah. Did you say they were specifically Chinese? Not, yeah. the, not that the 1912 really even matter as long as they were Asian. But, like, if they were specifically <laughs> no, but Chinese, it was, it too, was. I know there was, like, specifically yeah. anti-Chinese immigration acts and stuff like that. Yes, 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 yes. That's exactly what was going on. It's not, thank you for reminding yeah. me. But that's that was something that had gotten brought up. And, again, until I had heard of that documentary, I hadn't even been aware. Outside of that one fiction, the one character that Cameron had who was Chinese in the film. Is there, I don't even know. He's apparently... There is one guy at one point in time as the sink. You see him a couple times. Maybe he's I got just the never very, like the traditional. Okay, yeah. He's got the very traditional sort of like um, pony uh, braid, yeah. and he's wearing glasses, and he's okay, always looking at a translation book. Okay, I'll keep an eye out for the next time I watch. Yeah, he's he's meant to be a stand-in for like the Chinese survi- um, survivors, but yeah, when after the 
after the wreck. I have again, I haven't seen the documentary yet, and I don't know how it ends. But the trailer was really addressing how after this happened, they were just wiped from history, and many of their families didn't even know they had any relation to the Titanic because they just refused to acknowledge these these survivors. You say and it's called the sixth. The six, S, just S I X. But when you th- also think about, it, there was just so many different people on there. Like there was, there was a you know a black man and his family who was in second class. I was class. about there to was... ask, were there any black people? Because I was thinking about if yeah. you remake the ti- if you do another Titanic yeah, movie anytime um... soon, you're gonna have to find a way for us so it's not just entirely just white people. Um, I think is um, yes, his name was Joseph Laroche, and he was. Um, one of three Haitian passengers. Oh, oh no, he was one of three African um, passengers, but he himself was Haitian. I was say, if there's some Chinese in there, there would be like... Mm-hmm. And the story around him is actually kind of famous because he um, put his pregnant wife and two children onto a lifeboat and said goodbye. God damn. Yeah. I know. And fortunately he didn't make it, but his, his wife and uh, his wife and his children, they did. But his story was also, again kind of erased until somewhat recently. Um, I have to thank uh, that TikTok guy, Raf Avila, for this, because I was watching on YouTube just a compilation of a bunch of his TikToks, and one of them just starts did you know there was a black man on the Titanic? And I was like, no, tell me more. Um, and a lot of his videos um, highlight these lesser-known passengers, and it's really interesting to see just how many people were just flat-out erased because they were the wrong ethnicity. Religion, well, it's funny that skin it took color. Like Hundred years for so many of these stories to actually really begin to surface in any kind of like yeah. known kind of way. Too like, I mean, that's one benefit of the internet that at least, like, even the downtrodden from a hundred years ago could still have at least a little more of a voice than they had, you know, back in the day. So, yeah, and you know, those stories are important. And you know, some people might be like, "Is that really important?" No, to know uh, the every, it's like, yes, yes, it is. There's no one human story that's important than anyone else's. Exactly. And it, it's also when you think about it, you know, there was only three people on this ship who are of African descent. And somehow we've only heard of zero of them. That's nuts. Yeah. And it's that sort Even of if their story thing is where... they just got their family to a boat and drowned or like. I've heard that there are people who were genuinely, genuinely upset to find out that Jack and Rose didn't exist. I mean, is it better that he didn't exist versus he would have been real and died? Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't occur oh, to man, most people. people still, I, it's so funny that I still see people are surprised to find out that Titanic was a real thing. Like, that was like a joke when that movie came out, but that's still sometimes I see people being like, oh, I didn't realize that was based on true events. Like, how about you've never heard of Titanic? Like, especially after the movie came out. Like, yeah, before the movie, I'd give you a lot more credit. Because at least it's kind of just like whatever. It's like Bigfoot, but like, yeah. Well, it happened a long time ago. Who cares? Move it on. was a, a long time ago, but yeah. It was. Like, and I think that some of these books pointed out that Titanic mania has come in waves over the yeah. years when a new thing comes out. Mm-hmm. And I think with the advent of the internet, too, it's helped because, you know, <clears throat> I remember when the movie came out, this was still in the era of, like, lining up for screenings. That it was a different time Oh, man, I already time forgot about see. what going to movie theaters like after the pandemic. And that, it was like, such a big deal. It was... Years ago, yeah. Yeah, it was a huge deal to, like, to... For these big blockbuster movies to come out, people would wait in lines. It was it was a really really big thing, especially and Titanic I, itself, because that was that was a movie yeah. everyone was waiting in line for like a year. 
And it was, and yeah, because it kept getting delayed and it kept having budget problems. And there was then, we need more time, we need more money, we need more time, we need more money. So it was hyping and hyping and hyping. And the closest thing I could describe it to for people was, do you remember Harry Potter midnight release parties at Borders? Uh That's what it reminds me of. Long built up anticipation for something that, God, that you I didn't know is going about to be that. impactful. That's kind of the same era. That was, if anything, that yeah. Titanic stuff was kind of the Kickstarter of like, God damn, yeah. There was kind of and like it was a also... certain kind of, mm-hmm. like maybe for six or seven years, there was like an offline nerdom where you would, like instead of just everyone just waiting for their books from Amazon, you would go to the bookstore. Shit, yeah. And stand there stand and stare there at the cashiers and... for a few hours. Now, what are you do? Um... James Cameron kind of justifiably gets made fun of these days because I know he's like taking other writers to task for not being able to draw, uh, not not being able to write good, strong women. Because I guess because since he came up with Sarah Connor and the Terminator and wrote and created Rose Walker, Rose Dodds, what's her last name? Rose Dodds, whatever. <laughs> it's Dawson now. It's Dawson now. He's I've seen a couple times he's been like, oh, no one can write a strong woman like I can, which is like, OK, no. James Cameron, calm the fuck down. But yeah, he at least it... he did with with Jack. Mm-hmm. He did res- like Jack respects Rose enough to like give her her own space. And yeah, he doesn't he doesn't save Rose in the way in every way a person could wh- by just like <laughs> running roughshod over her, like kind of like I'm doing in the conversation right now. But like yeah, yeah he's he's a respectful <laughs> dude. And that's really important. And again, going back to you know being a young girl. And seeing a movie where a young a young girl slash woman is making decisions and making healthy decisions was really good because that's not often what's presented. What often is presented is you're gonna fall in love with a bad guy and you're gonna you're gonna fix him because he loves you so much. And you know I've been in that kind of relationship where you know I was with someone who has a genuinely good heart but has other issues going going on and those were not things that I could fix but because I saw he was a good person I tried and ultimately that doesn't it's not that doesn't work in always in real life it does sometimes sometimes people genuinely find the will to change but like it's not often that you get someone who's moody and brooding and neglectful and who stalks you in your bedroom to make sure you're asleep Edward um and that's shown as romantic it's like he cares about her. He just wants her to be safe. And that's just, oh, it's so sweet. It's like, no, that's not. He's taking her agency away. He is stalking her. He is making her decisions for her. And in this case, you know, like when Jack comes to plead his case, be like, Rose, come with me. He doesn't say, no, you're wrong. You don't know what's good for you. I'm what's good for you. He doesn't do that to her. He, he, he makes it, he makes his point. He's like, I like you a lot. And we, we have our problems, but I want you to be okay. I was about to ask. Mm-hmm. Is it because he's not actually initially attracted to Rose, and that like he only? I thought he her... was, but I forgot the first time he literally sees Rose, he's like, "Oh yeah!" So it's not like he's staring so hard that Fabrizio does the woo yeah, exactly. and nothing happens. Like, yeah, the two other guys are all like, "Holy shit!" I guess this guy's heterosexual. I guess, holy shit! Oh, um, right. It's like mm, understood, but I, I think that's one of the one of the things I, that's what I think I don't like about Jack. Not that I dislike. But, like, I wish Jack had a little bit more of a a glimmer of, like, an interior life other than just being, like, this perfect mate for Rose. Like, he's exactly what she needs right then at that moment. It would be nice if he was a little more. There's something just, even just a line or two in the movie. Wouldn't even take that much. But, like, he's such a perfect, like, I have no problem with him being a perfect thing for Rose. But, like, he just feels almost like someone, like, 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 like a guardian angel showed up 
But at the same time, if that's what women need in real life, like, I'm glad that people like that. I'm glad that, like, at least Jack could be that for the for so many women watching that movie. And if Jack, as a mm-hmm. character, did anything to help out anyone in their private lives while watching that movie, then I'll take that over Jack having any kind of more interior life in, 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 in that script, so... And I, I think that that's part of why I maybe give it so many passes, yeah. um, because I'm a key, I'm keenly and acutely aware of how relationships are shown to, especially women. Like again, I'm talking in just general spheres of you know gender and what have you, but how that narrative is just presented so often as the thing that happens is that you meet a guy and he's aloof and disinterested, but all of a sudden he starts behaving and he chills out or he stops sleeping around and he chills out. Like whatever the case is and all these like rom-coms, et cetera, it's always this playboy. Yeah. But that's, but that's how it's presented. It's always like woman must melt, must melt man's heart. And uh, just have it the other way around being like man pursues woman kindly was nice because he wasn't like grabbing no, her ass really or whistling or anything. As, as much as he's just very he's just a good dude towards her that's he's it's not listening. even like he's making big overtures oh. uh, even when he gets to draw her naked she's the one who has to make the first move like he, she's the one like i want you to draw me only wearing only this and he's like Ugh. yeah i that is and even before that he wasn't paying attention he was like that fucking diamond and she's talking and he's like uh-huh <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. No, and then she goes wearing only this, and all of a sudden it's like, uh, wait, then, what? And even the nervousness where, like, you know, the famous thing where he accidentally says bed instead of couch, and just, like, all that yeah. stuff is just, like, that. that is very endearing and, like, yeah. It is. Titanic Talkline was created and produced by me, Alexia. Be sure to keep up with the show on all the social medias at Titanic Talkline on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That is all one word. Titanic Talkline. T-I-T-A-N-I-C-T-A-L-K-L-I-N-E. If you want to get in touch, be on the show, sponsor the show, or have a question or anything you want to tell me, send me an email at titanictalkline, again, all one word, at gmail.com. That's titanictalkline at gmail.com. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. Bye!